This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Biden's student loan debt plan is just like Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Or that's what we're hearing on social media. But is that really true? No. And I'll explain why. Journalists are being kicked off Twitter for revealing the heinous procedures performed on minors at children's hospitals in the name of gender affirmation. And multi-millionaire pop star Lizzo announces that she's oppressed. Very sad. We'll be talking about all of this and more on today's episode of Relatable. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Allie for American meat delivered. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. I hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Last week, we had a lot of wonderful interviews for you. They're doing so well, and that just makes me so happy because they're such important conversations. You loved episode 666 with the cultish guys, and I was cracking up because of the number of comments and messages that I received saying, oh my goodness, that's what a coincidence. This is so ironic that episode 666 happens to be about satanic activity and witchcraft. No, guys, come on, give me more credit than that. That was purposeful. We planned that. I knew I had episode 666 coming up, so I decided just to just lean into it and talk about the demonic, but obviously from a gospel-centered perspective, and a lot of you were encouraged by that. It was a fascinating conversation. Go back and listen to it. And then you are absolutely loving the conversation with Sophia, and why wouldn't you? Because her story of detransitioning and how Christ found her in the midst of that detransition is amazing. What an incredible testimony of redemption. So please keep watching that. Keep listening to it. Share it with the people that you know, especially the Christians in your life. Share it with your pastor. I've heard from so many of you that you gained so much insight and um, we're so enlightened by that conversation. One thing that she said that stuck with me and that stuck with a lot of you as well was if she had known about Christ, if she had known about the power of his Holy Spirit and how he can make us into something new, make us a new creation, that he can save us, that he could liberate us from sin. If she had known that, she would not have gone through with her transition. And wow, what a good reminder for us Christians who constantly are worried about hurting someone's feelings if we share the truth or having someone hate us or simply just feeling awkward. I mean, I, I struggle with those fears and with those inhibitions when it comes to sharing the gospel. I think, well, maybe if I'm just nice to someone, maybe if I just smile at them, maybe if I just, you know, give a kind word to them, that's equivalent to sharing the gospel. But that's not what saves. That's not what saves. And we could get a negative reaction in sharing the gospel with someone speaking the truth, no matter how loving it is, no matter how gentle you are, could absolutely uh, could absolutely get a vitriolic reaction 
from someone who hates the truth. Actually, that's pretty expected in a lot of cases, but that doesn't mean that we are not being obedient. That also doesn't mean that God is not going to use that to plant seeds and then to later bring them to Christ. As you heard in Sophia's testimony, there were so many things before she actually heard the gospel that prepared her to actually uh, receive Christ, to actually believe uh, by grace through faith in what Jesus has done for her on the cross. So um, that was a lesson that I drew from our conversation. I am still learning a lot from it. So go listen to it or watch it if you haven't already. Also, before we get in uh, to the episode today, just a reminder that tomorrow on the show, we will be playing at the end of it some mom moments. And so we're doing kind of fun segments at the end of each show. And so one of them that I wanted to do was just uh, hear from you guys about Uh, encouragement to other moms, a funny moment that you had as a mom, some advice that you have as a seasoned mom or even a new mom. It can be very like practical, whether it comes to like, you know, which diapers you like, or it can be more spiritual and more profound than that. So call, leave a voicemail, 682-503-1369. Try to keep it as concise as possible. We'll play a few tomorrow. That's 682-503-1369. Six, nine. All right, let's get into this Biden student loan debt plan. And I specifically want to focus on the arguments that are being put forth by professing Christians saying that it is a gospel position. It is a biblical position. It is a Christian position to be for Biden's student loan debt plan. Now, we could get into all of the intricacies, all of the complexities of this plan and of the student loan process. Um, I am not going to get too in-depth on those things today because there are a lot of commentators, um, uh, a lot of people that have already given a very thorough explanation of what the process looks like. I'll cover that a little bit and tell you a little bit about Biden's plan, but I specifically want to focus on this argument that it is necessarily uh, Christian and biblical to support Biden's student loan debt plan. So first, let me tell you what it is in general. This is according to USA Today. On Wednesday, August 24th, Biden issued an executive order canceling at least $10,000 in student loan debt for individuals making uh, $125,000 or less, families or heads of households making $250,000 or less, also $20,000 in cancellation or forgiveness, so-called, for anyone who received a Pell Grant during college. And so individuals making up to 125K, families, heads of households making 250K or less. So these are not necessarily poor people. Now, of course, depending on where you live, like $125,000 may not get you very far if you live in LA versus living in, I don't know, El Dorado, Arkansas. Uh, But, I mean, we're not talking about exclusively impoverished people. We are talking about, in a lot of cases, people who can pay off their debts, but they're choosing not to. They're choosing to put their money elsewhere or they haven't, of course. That's not the case for all people who have taken out student loans, but for a lot of the people who are going to qualify for this so-called student loan forgiveness, we are talking about people who probably, who in a lot of cases, make more money 
then those who through their taxes are going to be paying off these loans. Here's what President Biden said when he announced this last Wednesday. That ticket has become too expensive for too many Americans. The burden is so heavy that even if you graduate, you might not have the ticket that graduating college once offered. Um, uh, There are a lot of Democrats who say that this doesn't go far enough. There needs to be complete and total cancellation. Of course, there are a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives who are pushing back against this. One, because of the cost. The White House says that the student loan plan's cost will be $240 billion. And according to USA Today, experts say it will actually be twice that. So this is going to cost Americans a lot of money. Now, the vast majority of Americans do not have student loan debt. And according to the Washington Post, who is actually citing the Brookings Institute, um, the vast majority of people who are going to benefit from the student loan debt plan are part of the top income brackets in the United States. So the top 60% of income earners in the U.S. will be the ones who benefit most from this student loan debt plan. So again, we are not talking about a plan that is necessarily going to focus on helping those who are struggling. It's actually going to help people who have some of the greatest income trajectories because half of all student loan debt is held by people who went to graduate school. That's also according to the Brookings Institute. And according to the Brookings Institute, they have the greatest trajectory when it comes to income earnings. So what we're looking at is a transfer of wealth from the working class to the elite, if you want to call them that, to people who went to graduate school. So you're looking at a transfer of wealth from people who chose not to go to college in a lot of cases or who paid off their debts. Maybe, they, um, maybe they've worked hard over the past 15 to 20 years to ensure that they no longer had student loan debt or maybe they decided they didn't want to go into debt in the first place. And so they decided to become a plumber or an electrician, make good money that way. Now, through this plan, they are going to be paying partly for the loans of people who went to college and who went to graduate school, who in many cases are making more money than the people who are now going to be forced to pay off those loans. And that's really the the main problem or one of the main problems with this is that student loan forgiveness or student loan cancellation is really a misnomer because it's not cancellation. It's not forgiveness. It's not that the debt is just going away. It's just being paid for by the taxpayer. So people who decided to go to college, who decided to go to grad school, they willingly signed a dotted line and said, I will take out this loan with the full intention of paying it back. And now they are saying, well, I don't have the intention to pay it back. Now I want someone else to pay this loan for me. And not just to voluntarily pay the loan, but to be forced by the government to pay this loan. So, of course, that is why people, one of the reasons why people have a problem with this. Now, the other reason why people have a huge problem with this is because it doesn't actually lower the cost of college. I am for getting people out of debt. I would like for people to not be in hundreds of thousands of dollars or even tens of thousands of dollars in debt because of college or because 
of grad school. I would love for people to be able to afford to go to college without having to give up an arm and a leg. That means that the cost of college has to go down. But the government subsidizing college and giving out these student loans without any limitation, without any thought to whether or not the person who is taking out these loans can actually pay them back, that makes the problem worse. Because that means that universities, even universities with huge endowments, can keep on raising the cost of tuition. Because people are still going to go. They're just going to go to the federal government, who is the number one lender of student loans, and say, hey, I need X amount of money. Can you give it to me? The federal government says yes. And so they turn around and they go to Harvard or they go to an expensive college without um, without even really having to think about the tuition that they're paying because, of course, it is uh, they have been given a loan by the government. And so... The colleges just keep on raising the price of college. That is the problem. That's why this is a vicious cycle. That's why this is really a scam. That's why this is unfair for people who didn't take out student loans, who have already paid back their student loans, who are now being forced to transfer their wealth to people who, in many cases, make more money than they do or who will make more money than they do. So that's just the general gist of the problem with student loans in general. I mean, I have a lot of I mean, I don't blame people who took out student loans. I think a lot a lot of the characterization of people who took out student loans by conservatives as, you know, only these like blue haired liberals who decided to major in like, I don't know, uh, theater something i was trying to think of something super obscure like i don't know interpretive taxidermy or something like that yeah my you can't hear them but my crew back there is talking about majoring in lesbian dance theory or theater anyway um so i don't think that that's all i don't think that that accounts for everyone who takes out student loans. There are conservatives who take out student loans who had to go to college for a very good reason, who are very productive people, and they are trying to provide for uh, for their families. And so I don't want to malign everyone who took out student loans as ignorant or wrong or immoral or irresponsible because I don't think that's the case for everyone who takes out student loans. Um, I do, however, think that it is right to pay a loan back when you have taken it out and when you have promised that you will pay it back. So that kind of in general, that's a very kind of big picture just skimming the surface summary of some of my just practical issues with student loan debt politically I mean it's a good move by Biden I know some people are saying that it's cynical but this is something that is serving his base this is something that the people that voted for him want now it is unconstitutional for the president to go around Congress and to enact something like this But like this is politics. Politics is transactional. Politics is, hey, you voted for me. Now I'm going to do whatever I can do to give you what you say that you want. Republicans don't seem to understand that at all. Democrats seem to understand that a lot better. So I don't really blame President Biden, even though I don't agree with this move. I don't think it solves the problem. I think it's unconstitutional. I don't disagree with the politics behind it, the political principle behind it. Yes, it's transactional. Sure, you can say it's cynical, but it's actually good politics 
to give your base, to give your voters something that they want right before the midterms. People are saying, oh, they're just he's just buying votes. Yeah, that's part of politics. You buy votes. You do you do things that your base likes in order to get them to vote for you. I mean, that is part of why our system works. We're supposed to vote for people who will represent us and then we'll do the things that we want them to do. Again, I think Democrats understand that much better than Republicans understand that. Now, let me get into the Christian arguments that are being put forth about this and my problem with the professing Christian, supposedly Christian arguments that are being put forth about a student loan forgiveness and why I think they are absolutely absurd and 100% unbiblical. But first, before we get into it, let me pause, tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is Covenant eyes. All right. You know how important it is to guard your heart, to guard your mind. And that means protecting your eyes. That means being very vigilant about what we are consuming, especially through technology. And this is particularly true for our kids. I mean, their minds are so malleable. They're so susceptible to different kinds of messages, to different kinds of images. We just want to put every kind of tool and piece of protection in place that we can to not just guard ourselves, but also to uh, help them guard their minds and their hearts. And that is why Covenant Eyes exists. It is a software that you download on your different devices that holds you accountable, that blocks certain websites and certain images that you just shouldn't be seeing, especially pornographic images. And it ensures that you've got accountability with other people. And it's just a great tool to help you ensure that in all things we are dwelling on that, which is lovely and pure and excellent and praiseworthy as Christians are called to do. So take action today. Get Covenant Eye software, block pornography on your and your children's devices, model online integrity for your kids by using accountability on your devices because what we do speaks louder than what we say. Get Covenant Eyes accountability software for free for 30 days by visiting coveyes.com slash alley. That's C-O-V-I's.com slash alley. Coveyes.com slash alley. All right, so you've probably seen this meme go around. I posted about it on Instagram. And I don't know who originally said it or else I would give this silly person credit. If you're a Christian and you're big mad about the possibility of student loan debt being canceled, let me remind you that the entirety of your faith is built upon a debt you couldn't pay for pay that someone stepped in and paid for you. Uh, John Pavlowitz, who is maybe the silliest person on Twitter, he wrote this book called If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk, and he's probably the most arrogant jerk on Twitter and continually shows his total lack of understanding of scripture and the gospel at all. I would not, like I am not the ultimate arbiter of who is a Christian who is not, thank God. I do not bear that burden. But judging from the fruit of this person, it would be very hard to believe that he is a follower of Christ, just based on the fact that he believes everything that your like average atheist does about morality and cultural and social issues. But he also argues this. He says, conservative Christians are fully enraged at student loan forgiveness, missing the irony that their entire professed religion is based on the idea of a canceled debt. So really, he just kind of took that from the viral meme and tried to 
uh, make it his own. He also then followed up with a tweet saying that um, this is like Israel's year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee in ancient Israel was a celebration that occurred every 50 years. Some people are saying that it was every seven years. It was not every seven years. That's a sabbatical year, which was um, uh, similar, but not the same. So Jubilee every 50 years in which God requires people to absolve all debts, to free prisoners, release slaves, VeggieTales creator, podcaster, and podcaster Phil Vischer also seems to agree with that take. There were several iterations of these kinds of arguments on Twitter from Christians saying, you know, this is basically the entirety of Christianity. And so, of course, you have to support student loan debts. Those Christian conservatives, they're just selfish. They just don't want to help people out. This is basically the gospel. But these comparisons show a total misunderstanding of both scripture, even the gospel itself, and what student loan debt forgiveness is, which, as we already explained, is the forced transfer of wealth from one group to another. That is not what the gospel is. In the gospel, Jesus, God made flesh, voluntarily paid our debt, which is our sin, on our behalf through his death on a cross. And this is what Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says. God made us alive together with him, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How did he cancel that? It didn't just go away. He satisfied that demand. He paid that price that we could not pay. And that is another key difference, not just voluntary versus forcible, voluntary by Christ and forcible when it comes to student loans in that we are being made by the governments to pay these debts, but also Jesus paid a debt that we could not pay, that we are totally incapable of paying on our own. In the case of student loan debt, the government is forcing other people to pay for debts that the debtors in many cases can pay, but they won't pay or they have not paid. Also, if our basis for debt cancellation, for student loan debt cancellation, is the fact that Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins, or the year of Jubilee in which ancient Israel, they absolve debts every 50 years, if that's the basis, then we should be canceling all debts, including mortgages. Now, how would that work? Tell us how that would work economically. Why does this biblical argument or argument, you know, based on a misunderstanding of scripture, why does that only apply to student loan debt? Does that does that apply to all debt? Tell me like how economically it would work if all mortgages, for example, were canceled. How would it work if all student loan debt, all student loan debt was canceled and was uh, was paid for by the taxpayer? Now, the Bible does speak to debts but not in the way that a lot of these professing Christians on Twitter believe that it does. Psalm 37.1 condemns refusing to pay back debts as wicked. Proverbs 22.7 says that the borrower is a slave to the lender. Paul instructs Christians in Romans 13.8 to, no, to owe no one anything except love. The forced transfer of debts also is not the generosity to which Christians are called. You see this a lot from the left, that if you're a generous person, if you're a compassionate person, then you should be for 
wealth redistribution. You should be for transferring wealth from one group to another. You should be for the expansion of social programs because look at the early church. They were so generous. Christians call us to, or Christ called us to generosity. We're supposed to care for the poor. They are constantly confusing government mandated government-mandated programs and the voluntary generosity and compassion to which Christians are called. Now, that doesn't mean that I am against every government program. That doesn't mean that I'm uh, against the government ever helping the impoverished. But I can be for some effective or efficient programs that help people who truly need it and also understand that that is not the same thing as the Christian obedience that God calls us to. We should pay our taxes. That is something that I believe is obedient. Matthew twenty two twenty one 21 um, speaks to that when Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But we also know that the giving that honors God is done cheerfully and is not done under compulsion, but is done voluntarily. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. That means that taxation does not count as Christian compassion. Christians are also called to work diligently to provide for themselves and for those around them. He who does not work or who not does not, but will not work, who can work, but chooses not to and chooses to sit in idleness shall not eat. Second Thessalonians 3.10, Ephesians 4.27 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let them labor so they are willing to provide for themselves and for those in need. And so, the Bible does speak to how we are to handle money. The Bible does speak to financial generosity. The Bible does speak to debts, but never in the way that professing Christians who typically identify as progressive Christians say that it does. Now, God did forbid Israelites from charging interest on loans when the debtor is impoverished. You see that in Leviticus 25, 35 through 38. And a lot of people point out, as we kind of mentioned a few minutes ago, that the student loan process is a scam, that it's predatory, that it's unfair, that it's unjust in many ways, as both the government and universities work together to convince sometimes poor borrowers to take out more than they can pay back. And I agree with this. This is largely true. But as I've already mentioned, the transfer of student loan debts doesn't even begin to solve something like this. The federal government... Um, is the biggest lender of these student loans and Congress eliminated limits on borrowing for college and graduate school in the 90s and the early 2000s. And so that is part of what caused this problem. If you want to address this, like if you really want to alleviate this burden on people, maybe they were 17 years old, maybe they didn't have parental guidance, maybe they've just been hit with one crisis after another and they're just unable to get ahead and to get out of debt because of interest rates and everything that comes with taking out student loans and paying them back. If you really want to help those people so they can finally get their head above water, simply offering them $10,000 of someone else's money is not going to solve the problem. It doesn't actually get to the root, which, as we've already explained, is that as you subsidize college, those colleges are going to keep raising tuition because they can we should also be trying to cultivate a culture and economy in which it is not necessary to have a degree, which is sometimes completely pointless. It's just kind of empty credentialism in some cases. We should be cultivating an economy in which skills are more enviable or more um, desirable than 
a pointless degree. I'm not saying all degrees are pointless. I'm thankful for my degree. I don't know if it's necessary in doing what I do. I'm thankful for my college experience. Obviously, some degrees are important, but not all degrees are. Sometimes people can do what they want to do and really make good money and follow their passions by not going to college, by starting a business, by going to trade school, by going to community college, um, junior college. Also, young people need to be taught about financial competence. So if you're really compassionate, if you really want to alleviate the burden of debt on young people and on truly impoverished, vulnerable people, which, by the way, a family making $250,000 a year does not qualify as being in that category. Like if you really want to help people and you truly are compassionate, one, there's nothing stopping you right now from taking out your wallet and paying off the debts of someone else. Like you can start that fund at your church. You can start a GoFundMe if you want to really be compassionate and, and really show that you care for these people then don't wait for the government to tell you to do it. Do it voluntarily. Also, if you really want to help these people, we get to the root of the problem. We get to the root of the problem, which is big government and big universities colluding together to scam people into taking out more than they can pay back. So once again, progressive Christianity basically is based on memes. Like it's basically based on like a meme level understanding of scripture and um, in uh, emotionalism and things that really have no substance and have no correlation with scripture whatsoever, but pull on your heartstrings and really sound good. It's based on forms of propaganda. And I understand as people who want to be compassionate, who want to be seen as empathetic, that it's really easy for us to get sucked into that. But we have to think a little more deeply about this. Really, it's kind of spiritual extortion. Like if you don't agree with this like obscure policy or program, if you don't believe in the unfettered growth of the government who uses the pretense of helping the poor in order to gain more power, then you're not really a good Christian. Also, let me just point out the irony that so many of these people, like so many of these professing progressive Christians, they call Christian conservatives Christian nationalists every time we use the Bible to support our policy positions. Like if I say, hey, look, the Bible says do not murder. The Bible says that God created us, knit us together in our mother's womb. Therefore, I'm against abortion. They'll say, oh, no, that's Christian nationalism. That's Christian nationalism. You just want a theocracy. But they are never afraid to use the Bible, to misuse and abuse the Bible, decontextualize the Bible to support their policy positions. They'll say that loving the foreigner means that we should have open borders. They'll say that the early church's generosity means that we should have socialism. They'll use and abuse and misuse all kinds of verses in order to support their policy positions. But when Christian conservatives actually use scripture, even in context, to say, this is why I believe what I believe about policy, they'll call that scary Christian nationalism, Christo-fascism. What they're actually against is conservatism. That's what they're against. And they should just be open about that. They should just say, look, yeah, we're okay with using the Bible to support policy positions, but only ours. Just be open and honest, but they're not. They're not. And that's how they get you. All right. I want to talk about a couple other things. Let me pause and tell you about our next sponsor for the day. And that is my Patriot Supply. All right. You guys know 
food shortages are something that people have been talking about for the past few months that could be on the horizon. People are dealing with inflation. Basically, everything just seems kind of unstable right now. And that is why it's better to be safe than sorry when it comes to feeding your family. So you should try out my Patriot Supply. Their food stays fresh for up to 25 years. It's really easy to store and prepare, and it's honestly really good food. So they've got a three-month emergency food kit. You'll want to get one for everyone in your family. And when you use my link, preparewithally.com, you'll save $250. You'll save $250 by using preparewithally.com. Like I said, better safe than sorry. Go right now, preparewithally.com. That's preparewithally.com. All right. I want to briefly talk about what's happening with Libs of TikTok. So this is a Twitter account. It's got like 1.3 million followers. We've talked about them a lot. And she has been revealing the policies, the procedures going on at different children's hospitals across the country. Now, she's not the only one. You've also got Billboard. Uh, Chris, you've got Christina Buttons, you've got Colin White, you've got uh, you've got a lot of different journalists out there, Christopher Rufo, who have been revealing the publicly available information coming out of children's hospitals about procedures that are being performed on minors. We're talking about hysterectomies, we're talking about um, mastectomies, we're talking about castration. Uh, phalloplasty where you construct a fake penis on a girl who thinks she's a boy using the using the skin from her forearm or the skin from her thigh vaginoplasties which of course requires castration and then trying to form some kind of vagina out of the skin there. I know it's horrific to even hear about, but we need to understand this is happening in this country and not just to consenting adults, but we're talking about minors, minors who are confused, minors who are very often mentally ill, minors who are very often on the autism spectrum. This is happening in this country every year, and there are several journalists who have been revealing this, who have been talking about this to try to sound the alarm that, hey, this is happening. Matt Walsh, of course, is another one who has been talking a lot about this. Libs of TikTok recently published an audio recording, uh, a conversation between her and a representative from Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. And the representative from this hospital seems to admit in this phone call that, yes, they are performing hysterectomies on 16-year-old girls who are confused about their gender, what they would call, quote-unquote, gender-affirming hysterectomies, which is just the most Orwellian and wicked phrase that I can even think of, on 16-year-old girls and younger. So here's a little bit of that conversation. It depends. And each department is different. Some, some departments cut off for 18. How old, how old is your patient? 16. Okay. All right. So they're in the clear. Okay. So so they do. So they would do it um, for at the, for that age. Yes. Okay. Great. Is it a common procedure that you guys do for for that age? Yes. Um. We have um all different type of age groups that comes in for that. For the gender for the hysterectomy. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Just out of curiosity, do you know, like, what's the youngest age you would do it on? I'm not sure, but I have seen younger kids. And I'm not, you know, either, but I'm not allowed to say that, but I have seen younger kids, like, younger than your child's age. Get the gender-affirming hysterectomy surgery? Yes. 
Uh, you can kind of tell, or it seems like to me that the hospital representative was a little bit reticent to actually admit that. But Lips of TikTok got this on tape. And this is, of course, not the only hospital that is engaging in this kind of atrocity. I mean, we've seen and this is like publicly available information that journalists are just going to the website, taking screenshots or like recording the videos that these hospitals have put out and then putting them online. I mean, we're talking about Boston Children's Hospital. We're talking about Kaiser Permanente in Oakland, California, Seattle Children's Hospital. There are several hospitals across the country that are performing these kinds of procedures as as young as we have heard them admit, like 16, 17 years old. But who knows? Who knows how young? At Kaiser Permanente, there was a psychologist who admitted that they were doing a double mastectomy on girls as young as 12 12 years old. And so what has the reaction been from the left and the mainstream media to Libs of TikTok and others revealing this? Has it been, wow, this is such an atrocity because this is a Nazi level experimentation on children? Wow, we need to stop this. There needs to be some accountability about this. Should we pump the brakes? Should there be more transparency? No, it, of course, has been to attack libs of TikTok and the other journalists for revealing this. So the atrocity, according to the media, according to places like NPR and The Washington Post, is not that little girls are getting their uterus and their fallopian tubes and their ovaries removed before they're, they're even at an age where they can begin to understand the implications of that. That's not the atrocity. Not that we're butchering young kids who are very often autistic. The atrocity is that people are talking about it. So what has happened to Libs of TikTok? She has now been locked. She has been suspended out of Twitter because she dared to notice and allowed other people to notice the absolute nightmare that is happening at our children's hospitals across the country. Here's how the Washington Post reports this. Children's Hospital threatened after lips of TikTok recording on trans hysterectomies. Children's National Hospital has been inundated with threatening emails and phone calls after an influential right-wing Twitter account published a recording that falsely suggested the hospital's performing hysterectomies on transgender children. Falsely. So even though Lips of TikTok says that she has this on record, they just say, no, this is not true. And Washington Post, uh, the journalist, his name is Pete Jameson. He reached out to Lips of TikTok for comment. She responded 12 minutes later, but he already published the piece without getting her comment. And NPR also um, also reported on this, saying children's hospitals are the latest target of anti-LGBTQ harassment. Is that not a tell? Is that not a tell that it is apparently anti-LGBTQ to be against the genital mutilation of children? There is no data, by the way, no actual data that shows that removing the healthy breasts and the uteruses and the penises and the testicles of young people who are confused about their gender actually helps their mental health. Actually, it works. I guarantee you it worsens it. Actually, there was a study out of Sweden a few years ago that followed people who went through these um, gender reassignment surgeries for the next uh, decade or so after their surgery. And they found that they were 20 times more likely to commit suicide than the rest of the population. I mean, Sweden is a very accepting place. It's a very progressive place. So you can't just say it's because they got bullied. No, that's because this is not solving the problems, the mental health issues that they have. 
as Sophia told us last week, like she was a depressed girl. She had other problems. She had a past that she hadn't really dealt with. She had trauma that she was uh, that she was working through or really refusing to work through. She was trying to kind of cope using drugs. And the psychologist, the endocrinologist, the surgeon, none of them stopped to really say, hey, maybe we shouldn't go through with this. Maybe wait a couple years and let's kind of work through the other issues that they have. So that is happening to young teenagers across the country. Of course, once they realize that they've made a mistake and that they cannot get their body back, they cannot get their fertility back, they cannot get the feeling back in their crotch or in their breasts, or even if they can get pregnant because they haven't had a hysterectomy, they'll never be able to breastfeed their baby. Things that you cannot even fathom when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, you can't fathom the consequences of that and the pain that that's going to cause. Like who else is going to stand up for these kids except for us adults, except for the journalists and the journalists who are standing up for them are getting canceled. They're getting censored. They're being maligned by the media. NPR says children's hospitals in Boston, Seattle, Chicago, Portland have claimed that they have been targeted by hostile and threatening phone calls and emails. So again, the story here is that these is that these doctors are scared, that these doctors are getting harassed, not that they are performing these atrocities on kids. It is a war on noticing. You were not supposed to notice. You are not supposed to notice that they are performing these genital mutilation procedures on kids. You are not supposed to notice that young children are getting puberty blockers and young teenagers are getting cross-sex hormones. You weren't supposed to notice that 12-year-olds are getting their healthy breasts cut off. You weren't supposed to notice that 16 and 17-year-olds are getting their healthy uteruses removed. You weren't supposed to notice that these things are actually leading to suicide and not helping the suicide rate among people who think that they are the opposite gender. You weren't supposed to notice these things, just like you weren't supposed to notice that the vaccine didn't work how they promised that it was going to. Just like you weren't supposed to notice that inflation is increasing. Just like you weren't supposed to notice that the gas prices were a lot lower under Trump. Just like you weren't supposed to notice that we're still sending billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine, even as the country here is suffering. Just like you weren't supposed to notice that the border is open and that they are shipping illegal migrants to different parts of the country, you weren't supposed to notice all of those things. And so because people are noticing, because there are journalists who are actually doing good work to help you notice these things, the only thing that the regime media can do, the only thing that the left can do is attack the people, censor the people who are allowing you to notice, attack them as conspiracy theorists, attack them as extremists, attack them as radicals, even as terrorists to try to make you feel like it is immoral to notice. So you just go back, put your head in the sand, pretend like it's not happening. That's really what they want you to do. I think more than support the left-wing regime and all of their wicked institutions would rather you just not notice. And to just kind of start paying attention right before an election when um, a a big story comes out that emotionally manipulates you into voting Democrat. Don't notice any of the bad things that are happening that are being authored by progressives, but be convinced right before the election that women aren't getting miscarriage care because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade or believe right before the election that Democrats are somehow going to solve racism. Um, that's what they do. 
That's the playbook. That's how the Democrat Party gets Christian women, because most of the time they're not paying attention. They're only paying attention when it's trending on social media. And then they're convinced by their friends that the only compassionate route to take is to vote Democrat. They haven't noticed. That is how the left wins. They ensure that you don't notice. That is why one of our uh, one of our sayings that we are constantly repeating is raising a respectful ruckus for the things that matter. We raise a respectful ruckus for the things that matter because I want you to notice politics matter because policy matters because people matter. These kids matter. These kids matter. And I I think like if you're looking for a hill to die on, this is a this is a great one. This is a great one. And you don't have to worry about if you're on the right side, if you're on the compassionate side, if you're against the butchering of children, whether it's in the womb or out of the womb, you're on the right side. I mean, I think history probably tells us that. So you can be extremely confident in that. Now, I hope Libs of TikTok and the other people who have been censored because of um, their reporting, I hope that they're placed back on Twitter. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of confidence in that. I mean, this is an idol of the left and they really don't they really don't allow any dissent when it comes to this. I mean, it's got to be the most Orwellian two plus two equals five belief that the left has, the idea that a man can become a woman and that a child uh, can consent to that kind of thing. And so it is absolutely worth pushing back on. It is absolutely worth sticking up for no matter what they say. So I'm thankful to all of the journalists who, despite the pushback, despite the true persecution that some of them have endured because of their stance on this and because of their persistent courage on this, I'm just thankful that they have continued um, to stand firm. All right, I just want one more short segment where I react to Lizzo saying that she is an oppressed woman as she stands up on stage, accepts an award after making millions and millions of dollars. But before I react to that and give you my little take on it, let me tell you about our last sponsor for the day, and that is NetSuite. All right, this is a great tool, especially if you are a small business owners, if you uh, a small business owner, if you don't know your numbers, then you don't know your business. That's especially true when your business is growing fast, but it's also true when there is a lot of uncertainty. Inflation is running rampant, supply chains are clogged, the labor market is tight. So what does that mean for your margins as a business owner? Not every business though is in the dark and you really shouldn't be either because they have NetSuite. Over 31,000 businesses know their numbers because they use NetSuite by Oracle. The number one cloud financial system gives you visibility and control of your financials, planning, budgeting, and of course, inventory so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. Know your numbers, know your business, and get to know how NetSuite can be the source of truth for your company. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. So go to netsuite.com slash Allie right now, netsuite.com slash Allie. That's netsuite.com slash Allie. All right, um, let's play Let's play this clip of Lizzo from last night. I don't know... <laughs> what uh, music video for good means, but I do know what your vote means, and that's a lot. Your vote means everything to me. It means everything to making a change in this country. So remember when you're voting for your favorite artists, vote to change some of these laws that are oppressing us. Okay, 
So she is saying like because there's one kind of voting and then there's another kind of voting and you voted for her for a favorite artist. So you should also vote in like elections. Is that what she's trying to say? Um, And she is claiming that she is oppressed. The laws that are oppressing her, oppressing us, unclear as to who us is in this scenario. Only in America, only in America can you have someone who is making millions and millions of dollars. She's got a net worth in the tens of millions of dollars who has become very famous because she's talented. I don't care what you think about Lizzo. She's talented. She's got a great voice. I think she plays the flute. That's pretty cool. She dances. People really like her. They really like her music. So because of hard work, because of grit, she has been able to become very successful. And look, she doesn't look like your average artist. Like she doesn't look like your average supermodel. I think she's very pretty. But the fact that she has been able to get where she is just the fa- just because she is like a hard worker and she's talented should probably show you that here in America, you really can do just about anything that you want to do if you've got the talent and the grit to match your goal. Just about anything that you want to do. Only in America can someone claim to be oppressed. Can someone claim that the law is oppressing them and people like them when they are a multi-millionaire? And we keep hearing, well, the example of Lizzo or of any other black millionaire or black successful person, that doesn't that doesn't disprove anything. That doesn't disprove the fact that America is systemically racist or that America is systemically oppressive. It's still systemically oppressive. There are still great disparities in all of these success stories and the fact that America has the most successful black people anywhere in the world, the richest black people anywhere in the world, that doesn't change the fact that America is still this racist, oppressive place. And of course, they never have to point to any facts or any specific laws, just kind of the headline that they heard that some kind of policy is maybe uh, indirectly hurting uh, what they would call a historically marginalized group. They never actually have to make any kind of coherent argument They can just go up on stage wearing thousands of dollars of clothing, making millions of dollars and say we're oppressed and everyone claps like seals because the left has this delusion playing in their head constantly, as I've said, that they are the underdog and that the that they are the little kid holding the slingshot and that this giant of Christo-fascism, this giant of right-wing oppression is standing before them and they're just trying to take them down through democracy and grassroots activism. Of course, it's not true. The left has all of the institutional power. They dominate academia, the public school system, the federal government, our intelligence agencies, media, Hollywood, big corporations, big tech, even the WHO, the UN, the World Economic Forum, all of the biggest institutions in this country are dominated by progressivism. You're not the underdog. You're not the underdog. If anything, you guys are the fascists. You are constantly wetting corporate and government power in order to punish your enemies. Of course, that's what happened. I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but of course, that's what happened in the election between um, Twitter and um The intelligence agencies trying to censor, for example, the Hunter Biden story. And so that goes back to this conversation, though, because 
every bit of reality opposes this fantasy that leftists have in their head about being oppressed and about being the little guy and about being the underdog. And so that is why Lizzo can be a multimillionaire, can stand up on stage in front of a bunch of other multimillionaires and say, hey, we're oppressed. And everyone's like, yes, it's delusional. It's just another example um, of the of right being wrong, wrong being right, up being down to progressives. Um, and so that's all I got to say for today. There was some other stuff that I wanted to get into. We'll have to talk about it uh, tomorrow. We got lots of good stuff that we're going to get into this week. Thanks so much for listening. Leave a five-star review. If you love this podcast, subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And we will see you back here tomorrow. 